Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you, and welcome to the Edge Church. Uh, my name is Stephen Van Den, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, really glad to have you joining with us today as we continue on in our sermon series that we're calling Jesus Encounters, where we've just uh, been exploring a number of different interactions or encounters that various people had with Jesus throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Gospels, um, in order to really help give us a better uh, insight and understanding into who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, what God does, and how he moves in our lives to bring about his life and purpose and fullness uh, to us. And so, so as you know, this past uh, Sunday was Easter, and, and here at the Edge, we had a, a great time gathering together just uh, to celebrate um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death to life and, and victory over sin and death, just as he said he would. And now today, and for really our final few weeks of this series, uh, we are going to look at three final encounters that Jesus had after his resurrection, before he ascended and returned to heaven. And, and so this morning, I want to start with our very first story of an encounter that took place between Jesus and, and two people who are walking along a road with hurting and heavy hearts. And so I, I just want to start in prayer, invite you to pray with me as we get into God's word together. So if you'd pray with me, Father, we just come before you this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. God, thanks for this day that you've given to us. God, thanks for the opportunity to open your word. God, thank you that you are present with us here in this moment. God, I ask that uh, Lord, as we share your word together today, Lord, that you would speak to each and every heart, God, that you'd give us ears to hear you. Lord, that you'd open up every heart, Lord, to receive of you. God, speak that word, Lord, that we need to hear from you today. God, give us a revelation of you today. Lord, to see you as you are, God, to maybe see you for the first time. And Lord, I pray that you would stir faith in our hearts. God, that we would believe in you today. God, that we would trust you today. Lord, that we would hope in you today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just have your way in each and every heart. Have your way in this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 24. That's where uh, we find today's Jesus encounter. And, and starting uh, in verse 13, um, is where our story starts. But what you'll notice if you look right above that is you'll notice that right above verse 13 is the entire resurrection story. And so, so our story today happens immediately following the resurrection stories. In fact, it, it's the very same day that our story takes place. And here's what it says, starting verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, Jesus asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. So let's just stop right there for a minute because there's a lot for us to unpack already here in our story. So, so, So here we have these two people who are on a walk from Jerusalem towards a town called Emmaus and tells us about a seven-mile journey. And and, and what we know about these two people is that one of their names is Cleopas. We're we're not sure who the other person is. Some scholars believe that that the other is Cleopas' wife who is traveling with him, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, One of the other things that we know is is that they're walking on the very same day, on that same Sunday that Mary Magdalene and the other women had gone to Jesus' tomb to find the stone rolled away and and an angel who was there that told them Jesus is not here. He has risen. Uh, Additionally, we know that these two people had been following Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. Earlier in verse 9, it tells us that the women and the other disciples had actually returned to the others that were there to tell them what had happened. And our story then begins with now that same day, two of them Two two of who? Well, two of those others who had been there to hear the report of this story. These are two who had been witness to that story. And and now these two are walking away from Jerusalem and towards Emmaus. The the, the obvious question for us to ask here would be, why are they leaving Jerusalem? I I mean, Jerusalem is the place where, where Jesus had told his disciples that he would die, but he would rise again on the third day. Uh, Jerusalem is the place that Jesus specifically tells his disciples not to leave, but to stay and to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem is the place where all the disciples are gathered to, to pray and to share together and to encourage one another and to believe together. So, so, so why is it that these two are leaving Jerusalem for Emmaus? Well, verse 17 gives us a pretty good indicator. It tells us that, that they were downcast, it says. That, that, that word literally means gloomy or embittered or depressed and melancholy, which is to say that, that there was a deep sense of sadness and loss and hopelessness in their hearts as they were walking away from everything Jesus was doing in Jerusalem. They saw him die on that cross on Friday, and their hope died there with him, resulting in them walking away from that place and really turning their back on his promise to them. And and though the women and and the other disciples report to them that the tomb is empty, clearly they don't believe that Jesus lives because no one has seen him. And because no one has, they see no future, and so they have no faith. They're discouraged and heavy-hearted and walking away, distancing themselves from Jesus and from the others. But but notice that that even though these two are walking away from Jesus, Jesus is moving towards them. Jesus is actually pursuing them. Let me just tell you something that that really you need to know and hold on to for your whole life. That, That no matter where you go, how you feel, or what you think about Jesus, Jesus knows you, Jesus sees you, and Jesus pursues you. You might feel like you're done with him, but he's not done with you. 
Remember the very words of Jesus back in Luke 19.10, where he says, listen, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is actively seeking you. And so it says in verses 15 and 16, it says that, that they were talking and discussing these things. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks up and Jesus is walking along with them. It says, but they uh, were kept from recognizing him. Jesus shows up, but they don't know that it's Jesus with them. Hope is literally with them while they have none, right? Now, now what does it mean that where it says here that they, that they were kept from recognizing him? Let me just share a few thoughts with you here. Uh, first off, sometimes it can be really hard for us to recognize and be aware of Jesus when we're going through really dark and difficult times and seasons in our life. H have you ever found that to be true for you, right? Like, I, I know I've experienced that at different times in my own life. But one of the things that I, that I love about this moment in the story is because it reminds us that just because you aren't aware of Jesus in the midst of what you're going through doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there with you. Jesus is, Psalm 46 tells us that, that Jesus is our ever-present help. God is with you in whatever moment you're in. He's present. A second thought for you here is this, that, that often it can be difficult for us to see and be aware of Jesus when we're not looking for him. These two followers were convinced that Jesus had died. They, they, they were convinced he's not living, he's not alive. So certainly this couldn't be Jesus with us on the road. They weren't expecting Jesus to show up, certainly not like this, right? I, I don't know about you, but maybe you've found in your life that God doesn't always show up when you think he will or the way that you think he should. But per perhaps we also miss out on seeing God in the midst of our walk because he shows up in a way we're not expecting him to, or, or he comes in a way that looks different to us than we think he should. Think about this for a second. Jesus brings life. Jesus brings eternal life, but he brings it through death. Life comes to us in a way that no one was expecting. It looked like something else. Sometimes God shows up in your life in ways you aren't expecting, looking like something else, right? He'll send blessing into your life, but it doesn't look like blessing to you in the moment. Like, like God will send patience into your life dressed as a teenager. You know what I'm saying? God will send trust and steadfast to your life through a trial. God will send some of the best things into your life, dressed up like some of the worst times in your life. But Jesus is present no matter what it might look like. Here, here's a third thought for you here. You can actually have physical sight while still being spiritually blind. And this is the sad truth that is the state of all people who've not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as well as those who are in Christ, but, but turned from the truth, right? There, there's a blindness of spirit that keeps us from truth. And, and we need our eyes to be opened by the Spirit of God in order for us to truly see and understand. And so Jesus shows up on this road and he asks these guys what they're talking about. And Cleopas is, is kind of taken back. Like, what, how do you not know what's been going on here? Like, where is, who's this guy, right? Where's this guy from? Were you like, did you just like roll out from under a rock somewhere? I mean, like, how are you possibly unaware of all the things that have happened here? And, and, and I love this because you, you, you got to love Jesus. I mean, this is actually kind of funny, right? Like, like they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. 
They're like, don't you know what's been going on, right? They think they're giving Jesus the inside scoop. They think that they're actually telling the story to the author. But even though Jesus already knows, right, he still asked them. He asked them the question. He says, well, what things? Tell me about it. Give me the story. Jesus loves to ask questions and not because Jesus doesn't already know the answers, but Jesus asks questions to help us know and to help us learn, for us to consider our own hearts and assumptions and biases and to help us cut through what isn't in order to help us see what really is, in order for us to grab what is true. And so they explain to Jesus all about himself, but you'll notice as they do, they start in verse 19 by calling him a prophet. They don't say Messiah. They don't call him Christ or, or Lord, which, which really tells us that they're not seeing Jesus rightly. They've lost faith. And we see this most clearly in verse 21 when they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped, but not anymore, right? See, they thought like many others in that day that the Messiah would be a lot more like Moses, that, that he would come to bring this political freedom from the oppression of the Romans. He would be someone who would, who would come and exercise power and authority against Israel's enemies and put an end to all of the injustices they had faced and, and lead them into victory and, and freedom over their oppressors. This is not what they got with Jesus that's the Messiah they were expecting, right? Not the one who would suffer and die on a cross at the hands of their enemies, even for his enemies. So in their mind, Jesus couldn't possibly be the one. I think if we're honest, this is a wrestle in our own hearts and minds for us when things get dark and difficult in our life too. Right? You lose your job, you're dealing with relational issues or health issues or tragedy happens and you start to wonder things like, like is God even real? Is God who he says he is? Right? It, it, could God possibly be as good and as powerful as I thought he was? Maybe God doesn't always make good on his word. Maybe God isn't always at work for good. Maybe he's not all that I've believed him to be. And so like these two, you start to distance yourself from him and from others who are connected to him, from other followers of Jesus. And again, the timing of this whole story is fascinating, right? Because Jesus has said on a number of occasions already that, that he would die, but on the third day that he would be raised back to life. And this is the third day. I mean, you'd sort of think that maybe, just maybe they'd stick around till the end of the day, just in case something were to happen, right? But like maybe something is going to happen and I'm going to stick around just to find out. But isn't this often our problem too? It isn't one of the things that happens to us is that we tend to give up along the way. That, that, that we stop believing and trusting because it's hard or it hurts or because that breakthrough hasn't happened yet for us. And so we quit even though we might be close. But thank God that he doesn't quit on us. Thank God for 2 Timothy 2.13 that reminds us that and says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And so Jesus finally responds to them beginning in verse 25 and he says, he says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So so here's Jesus, and he's revealing to them who he is through the scriptures, showing how all of it from Genesis forward is all about himself, how all of it points to him. And and we don't know what Jesus read to them. It doesn't tell us what passages he turned to, but, but, but perhaps Jesus starts in the book of Moses, right? Perhaps he starts in the beginning in the creation story. And he points to Genesis 3.15 where God curses the deceiver, the serpent, and says, listen, I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then maybe Jesus turns to Deuteronomy 18.15 where it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers and you must listen to him. From there, maybe Jesus goes to the prophets and he reads Isaiah 7, 14, where God says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. And then maybe he turns to Isaiah 53, where where it talks all about this suffering Messiah. uh, And where in verse five, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. And, And maybe Jesus and turn to Zechariah 12, verse 10, where God says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and of prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced. Jesus here tells us he walks them through the scriptures from Genesis onward through the stories and and the prophecies revealing how all of it testifies to who he is, why he has come, and how we are to respond to him. It's really all about Jesus and and you can't make any real sense of this book and understand it unless you connect all of it to Jesus. Yeah, there's morality in the Bible, but it's not primarily about morality. Yeah, yeah, there's history in the Bible, but it's not primarily about history. Yeah, yeah, there's religion in in the Bible and, and there's supernatural works and traditions in the Bible, but it's not primarily about those things. All of those things exist to point to the thing that is primary, to the first thing, the one thing, Jesus. So, so, so ultimately, anytime that the Bible is taught, if it's not primarily, firstly, about Jesus, then it's not being taught well because it's not primarily about you. It's not primarily about me. It's not primarily about us. It's for us, but it isn't firstly about us. It's about Jesus. And, and here's why Jesus Uh, here's why Jesus does what he does in our story and and why it's important for us is because, listen, when you're having a hard time seeing Jesus, look to the scriptures. When you can't see what he's doing or hear him speaking to you, open up the Bible and see him there. Listen to him there. Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, which is to say that when we come to this book, when we open it up, we don't come to a dead book, right? But to God's living word, he is present with us in his word. It's been said that the Bible is the only book whose author is present when the reader opens it. And it says that his word is is living and also it's active. It means that it's effective right now, today for your life and mine. So don't let anybody try and convince you that the Bible doesn't matter or that it isn't true or that it's just some old inconsistent thoughts written by men, right? No, it is the true life-giving words of God breathed out by the spirit of God then and now, past and present, speaking to you and me today. 
And this is why we see Jesus pointing Cleo and his companion to the scriptures, right? That's how much Jesus thinks about the significance of his word, that through the word of God, they might see and know and receive him. And look what happens next, beginning in verse 28. It tells us, it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I, I love this scene here because it's, it's like they get to their destination and Jesus is just gonna keep going, right? Jesus is just gonna keep on walking. He's like, hey guys, have a great one. Enjoy your meal. You know, I'll see you later kind of thing. Take care. And it isn't until he's invited that he stays. I find that fascinating. Something for us to grab hold of uh, here is Jesus will not force himself into your life. Jesus will not force himself into your life, but Jesus will always respond to your invitation. It, it reminds me of Revelation 3 verse 20, where Jesus says, listen, here I am. I stand at the door. I stand at the door of, of your heart, okay, of your life, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus tells us, listen, I am ever knocking at your door, on the door of your heart, on the door of your life, but I'll never just come in unless you invite me in and receive me. That, that, that's your choice. But if you'll say, yes, I will absolutely come in and share with you and commune with you. Verse 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, now, now this is really interesting and a really supernatural scene at the same time, right? One moment, Jesus is sitting down with these two to share a meal with them. And then finally, they realize that it's Jesus. And then boom, he vanishes, right? Like into thin air. So, so, so what's this whole scene here about? Okay, what are we to make of this? Let me just note a few things for you. One, re remember that Jesus was invited as a guest, but notice that he takes on the role of the host here. Jesus takes the bread, Jesus gives thanks, and Jesus shares it with them. Je Jesus doesn't just come in to be a guest in our heart and in our life, right? Je Jesus comes in to be the host. Jesus comes in to be Lord, right? To be king that he might lead and minister and feed and heal and sustain us. He leads and we follow. Secondly, notice here that, that, that it's only after this shared time that with, in this encounter with Jesus that their eyes are open to really see him. Because revelation comes, our eyes are open to truly see Christ, not simply from knowing about him, but by experiencing him, right? Through encountering him in our own lives. The, the apostle Paul knew about Jesus, but it wasn't until he had this encounter with Jesus on a road to Damascus where, where, where he realized who Jesus was and received him as Lord. Notice here also, though, that it's as, as they're sharing around the table, right? That as they're sharing together around this table that this revelation co comes, as they're partaking together of communion as Jesus had taught them. 
And really, this is why our gatherings and our fellowship together is so important, right? Why sharing times of communion together matters, because not only do we share Jesus together and remember and remind one another of who he is and what he's done and encourage one another in him, but, but, but he, in fact, is present in our midst as we do. It's in our fellowship that Christ is revealed. Thirdly, why is it that Jesus suddenly disappears from their sight after they realize it's him? Well, we don't really know why. Um, it doesn't tell us. What we do know is that, that coming up really soon, Jesus is suddenly going to show up, walk into a room in Jerusalem where the disciples have gathered. But, but something for us to consider here, the, the thought that I had about this particularly is this. That, that our fellowship with Jesus, our, our walking with him, right, can't only be the result of us seeing him in every moment, right? It, it also has to be us trusting him and taking him at his word even when we don't, even when we're having a hard time seeing him. And, and last thought here, notice how their hearts burned within them as Jesus spoke to them and shared scriptures with them something that, that I think is important for us and something that's important for our heart is the reality that sometimes we just need to stop talking and start listening. Sometimes we just need to stop trying to explain it all to Jesus, right? To inform him about how it is and what it is and how it's supposed to happen and how things should go and how it isn't and all that, but to just simply stop and listen and open up his word and let him teach us, let him inform us, let him guide us and transform our hearts and our minds and our ways. Let's finish our story here. Verse 33, it says, then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen as it appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Do you know what happens when you have truly had your heart set ablaze by Jesus, right? What's in here then has to be expressed out here. When your eyes have been truly opened to see and know Jesus, you can't help but share that with others so that their eyes might be opened too. That's what happens when God touches your life and changes your heart. It's why I'm sitting here today sharing Jesus with you because that's what happened in my own life. And so listen, let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Have your eyes been opened to who he is and what he's done for you? Do you know that he walks with you and he talks to you, that he's present right now in this moment? That, that no matter what you're going through or what you're walking towards, Jesus is there. Have you received Jesus as Savior and Lord and can you testify to his presence in your life? And really has your experience with him and of him been so real and so life transforming and changing that it has caused you to tell others about who he is and what he's done. Jesus wants you, wants me, wants all of us to see him and know him and receive him, for us to encounter him in his word and by his presence and, and through his people and to share him with others that they might know and see and believe. And so really that's the question for us. What is it that you'll do with Jesus? How will you 
respond to him. I, I, I want to just close this morning by, by leaving you with a few questions that you can talk about in your group this morning, um, or, or maybe that you could just journal through and think about uh, throughout the week. And I'm going to give you three questions, and I'm going to give you a bonus idea, okay? A few questions and a, and a bonus possibility idea. First question is simply this. What's your biggest takeaway from this message and why? What is the thing that most resonated in your heart? And why is that? Speak to that. Second question is this. How is it that God has revealed himself to you in your life? What does that look like? How have you seen God show up in your life? What has God used to reveal himself to you? Scriptures, other people, particular moments, certain encounters with him? What's that been like? Third question is this. Is there anything specific in your life today that God is inviting you to trust him with or in or for? Is there anything that just comes to mind that you're just like, man, I just know that the Lord is asking me to trust him with, fill in the blank, and, and, and really then invite the Lord into that, whatever that might be. Tell him you trust him. See what God does. And, and so here, here's the bonus idea. Maybe if you're gathered with some folks this morning, you're gathered in your house church today. Um, I want to just invite you to maybe share communion together. Um, doesn't have to be anything crazy or fancy, um, some bread and some, some drink. Um, but, but take a moment together and, and just pray and, and ask the Lord to, to minister in and through you. Maybe open up the scriptures and read 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, where it talks about that that communion moment and, and partake of the bread and the drink together. And then maybe just pray for each other or, or share a song together that celebrates Jesus in his life. Um, there's something that's incredibly powerful as when we as God's people center our hearts around him and we share in him together and we remind one another of who he is. And so I want to just encourage you to do that together if you have the time um, to do that. Um, go ahead and do that. Uh, we're going to close, if you wait just a minute, with our final song. Um, but God bless you guys. I, I hope and pray that you have an amazing week, and I hope and pray that you have an encounter with Jesus. God bless you guys.